Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Dr. Sally Brown. appreciate the invitation to come and join you today. Thank you, excellent praise band, too, for such an embracing start to worship. Um, Today, our our reading is going to be projected on the screen, and I'm relying on that, so I don't have the book in front of me, and I'll be reading. Um, What we're reading is the last piece of the last chapter of the Gospel according to John. And um, John's Gospel has just four recorded appearances of the risen Christ. Uh, The first on Easter evening, the next one a week later, and that's when, you know, Thomas is there, which he wasn't the first time. There is an encounter that Mary Magdalene has with Jesus. Um, She thinks he's the gardener. Apparently, you know, there's something, you'll see this in the Gospels, it's not always easy to recognize the risen Christ, apparently. Um, and um, then this is called the third one, the third time that Jesus made himself known to his um, disciples. Now, um, they are no longer in Jerusalem. Uh, there is no place to go fishing in Jerusalem. And um, this, this is what they are up to. And um, another thing, we'll find that Peter, the disciple Peter, is right at the center of this story. So um, will you pray with me and then we will turn to the text and listen for God's word to all of us. Let us pray. Holy One, you pour out uh, yourself to us in so many ways. Risen Lord, you are among us when we don't even recognize it sometimes. And Lord, we ask that on this day, when you have opened us up to your word and your spirit, that you would do the work in each of us that you want to do, that you would open our eyes to new wonders of your love. And now we ask you to speak through your word and help us each to listen for your specific word to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so the scripture for the day. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of his other disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it, 
And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he'd been naked and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat dragging that net full of fish for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. When they'd gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And then he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. The second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. You know, those 40 days between resurrection morning and the day that Jesus was caught up to heaven must have been a pretty strange time for his followers. We have to remember that they had been laying low for all of, the, all of this time. They went into hiding the minute that Jesus was arrested in the garden. And as far as the temple authorities and the Roman authorities were concerned, the disciples had been the closest associates of a man convicted of treason, an enemy of the state. Knowing that that's how the authorities are looking at you doesn't make you sleep well at night. We know that the first couple of times that they encountered their risen Lord, it was behind locked doors, and suddenly Jesus was there. I think that it may have been especially hard, though, for Peter. I think he must have played it a hundred times, 150 times in his head, 
What happened that night, all bravado, full of self-assurance, when he said, Jesus, I will follow you to death at that last supper. Everybody heard him. Everyone heard him say it. And now everybody knows how it really went down. Before that terrible night of Jesus' betrayal and Jesus' trial was over, Peter had denied three times that he did not, that he knew Jesus at all. He said he had no connection to him. The third time the Gospels report, Peter swore, swore with an oath. It might have been something downright unprintable. Fill in the blank. I'm telling you, I don't know the guy. Maybe it wasn't any great surprise that one night Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. When you failed at the greatest thing you ever aspired to do, what do you do? What do any of us do? We go back to what we know, what's familiar, and he knew how to fish. Well, some of the other disciples said, I'm going to. Well, these are expert fishermen, but it was not a good night. Uh, they cast that net over and over and over again, and it came up empty every time. And at dawn, they were exhausted, dead on their feet, hungry, and they headed for the shore. And somebody they didn't recognize is standing on the beach and shouting, Do you have any fish? No, we don't. The man on the beach calls back, cast the net on the other side. So why not? I mean, you know, why not? So they drag that soggy net over from this side to that side, and they cast it in the water, and they wait. And suddenly, an entire shoal of fish swims into that net. The boat is listing to one side. They're straining at the net. It takes every one of them. They can, they're shouting to each other, grab that part, grab that. You got that? They're pulling it in. They can't get it on board, and they decide to just drag it behind them. The disciple who's struggling there with the net next to Peter turns to Peter and shouts over the water, It's the Lord! For a second, Peter can only stare at the stranger there on the beach. But then he can't help himself. He, he throws on a cloak and he jumps into the water and he starts to swim for shore. Because on that shore is the one person he knows he needs to see, the one person he must see, must connect with, and yet also the one person he dreads facing. But he goes like his life depends on it, because maybe it does. It must have been a comfort there on the beach just to be sitting with Jesus again, watching him break the bread as he had before, watching him pass out the fish as he had before. Jesus meets their immediate need. He knows they're exhausted and famished. But I think Jesus knew, I know Jesus knew, as Peter himself knew, that Peter was going to need something more than just a picnic on the beach to heal his wounds. 
that sometime after the meal that Jesus takes Peter aside. And it's, it's interesting that Jesus calls him by his formal name, Simon, son of John, rather than Peter, the rock, the name that Jesus had given him. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? That question shot straight to the broken place in Peter. I can imagine that at first he struggled to answer. His mind went back to that terrible moment when he had to answer a different question. You're the disciple of that man, aren't you? Sometimes the direction of your whole life hangs on a single question. Oh, sure, you, but I saw you with him. No. Surely you were one of, no. And now he has a new question to answer. There are times, aren't there, for all of us when the whole direction of your life hangs on a single question. And I think those times come up more than once in a lifetime. Isn't that true? Um, questions like, will you accept our job offer? Yes, I know, it's in Timbuktu and at the back of nowhere, but will you accept the offer? I remember answering the question, will you marry me? Oh my gosh, and what would that mean? I was in my 30s by the time that I had to face that question. I, I had a pretty well-established me, myself, and I life. So that was a momentous question. Even more momentous for me, though, I would have to say, was to answer the question whether God was actually calling me to ministry or not. At the, name, at the time that that question was before me, I was in a church, I had been raised in a church, who just did not see the ordination of women as legitimate. So my answer to that question was going to radically change my relationship to that church that I loved, that I'd grown up, when, up in, to whom I owed my faith. And I felt like if I say yes, then I'm kind of biting the hand that fed me, that got me here. It was going to put strain on my relationship with my family because they didn't believe in it either. Now that was a long time ago, and uh, there weren't all that many women being ordained. Um, it, was the, it was the late 70s, actually. And I, it turned out I was the second woman ordained right here in this presbytery. This was my home presbytery. And that happened in September of 1980. And I remember how momentous it was to answer those ordination questions. Do you promise to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. That's a tall order. Peter remembers that other question and the test that he failed. And this time, he's going to answer differently. Because I think that Peter suffered something that a lot of us do suffer from in our life, the bondage of regret. 
of the consequences of a poor decision. And um, it's more than just regret. It's, have you been in that place where, of self-reproach? You can't let go of it. It's like being in prison. Maybe it was something we chose to do, something thoughtless, something careless, something short-sighted, something self-serving. Or maybe it was something we could have done, we should have done, but we didn't. A crucial moment when we were too busy to listen to our kid, to our spouse, to our friend. A moment when you could have spoken words of reconciliation, words of even repentance to someone else. You could have spoken words of forgiveness and there was a conversation you needed to have and you didn't have it and now it's too late for that conversation. That door is closed. The good news about this story for me is that there's hope for all of us who have lived in that place of regret. For all of us who have gotten it deeply, tragically wrong. Because God has ways of working that are bigger than our personal decisions and won't allow our failures to ruin us if we are willing to answer a new question. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Strange thing to say to a fisherman, wouldn't she say? <laughs> feed my lambs. This guy's not a shepherd, he's a fisherman. Jesus asks the question again. He says, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Gosh, it sounds like Jesus trusts him, actually trusts him with something is giving him responsibility, a new vocation, a new reason to live. And then a third time, Jesus asks, asks it, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt this time. Isn't twice enough? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Maybe it was only then that Peter realized what had just happened. Jesus had given him a chance to say, I love you, to answer the decisive question, one for each of his denials. Jesus' question to Peter is a life-giving, soul-restoring question. And with it, Jesus delivers Peter from the bondage, the captivity to his own regrets and his self-reproach. Jesus, uh, Peter had trudged up that beach a broken man, but Jesus sought him out and touched him precisely at that place of brokenness and asked him a question that would set him free. And now, what does this have to do with us? First thing I want to say is life after resurrection means more than life to come after death. Paul the Apostle calls Jesus the firstborn of God's new creation. And that new creation began and 
began in its fullness right there at the beginning with transformed lives. Jesus is, as the firstborn of new creation, is already sowing the seeds of change into everything, including you and me. Christ's encounter with Peter demonstrates that life after resurrection means that the risen Christ is going to seek us out in our brokenness and heal us, seek us out in our bondage and deliver us. And sometimes that deliverance will depend on answering a critical question. The question for us is, what's our question? Because I believe that the risen Christ comes to each of us at critical moments and poses life-giving, soul-restoring questions. Could it be that the risen Lord is drawing alongside you even now? And there is a question with which you need to wrestle? I don't know what... Christ's question for you might be. I have good friends for whom Christ's question was, are you ready to put down that substance you depend on? Are you ready to put down that habit you depend on? What is that question that God asks each of us, that the risen Christ comes alongside and asks each of us, that can liberate us into newness of life? It might be a question about forgiveness, maybe. For what do you need to accept God's forgiveness so that you can forgive yourself? Sometimes it's you that can't forgive and until we can forgive ourselves, can we really forgive anyone else? It might be a question about fear and the future. The risen Christ might ask you, in what ways is fear of the future keeping you from living in the present? Keeping you from living with generosity? Or maybe it's something like, what are you clinging to? What habit, what possession, what ambition, what relationship that is doing you more damage than good right now? What are you clinging to? And are you ready to let go of it? Whatever Christ's question to you or to me, it's surely going to touch the most broken places within us and it could hurt. It could hurt. It's also important to recognize that when Peter said yes, when Peter answered that question in the affirmative, it was not like a game show where you got the question right and now you win everything. No. I didn't read the next verse, but I will read it for you now. if I can find my passage. <laughs> okay, I will have to... Oh, I have found it. 
Listen to the next verse. Jesus says to Peter, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But you will grow old and you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and will take you where you do not wish to go. And then John puts this in parenthesis. He said this to indicate what kind of death Peter, by which Peter would glorify God. Tradition has it that Peter himself was ultimately crucified for his faith. And he chose to be crucified inverted, head down, because he felt that it was too great an honor to be crucified as his Lord was. So no, Peter didn't win the lottery, getting it right. Peter won the opportunity to follow through on his original commitment. Lord, I will follow you to death. Jesus certainly did rise to defeat that last enemy, death, and that gives me great hope. You know, I did pastoral care for a lot of years, and that means that you are at a lot of deathbeds. I have been at the deathbeds of people who lived a long and a full life, and I have been at the deathbeds of people who died way too soon. I remember one Easter morning, I got a call about midnight that I needed to drive down from Bethlehem all the way back to Philadelphia to Children's Hospital because life was ending for a little boy named Caleb. He was three. He had a brain tumor. And my husband and I went. Actually, we were awakened out of a dead sleep, and he said, just make a pot of coffee, strong coffee. I'll drive. We'll drink the coffee. This is going to be all right. And we got there. And you know, uh, timing, what an interesting thing. That little boy hung on until his grandparents got there. I don't know how. And I had to call the senior pastor and say, you know, we lost Caleb this morning. And that was the first thing that he had to announce on Easter morning in church. Well, the congregation could barely choke out, Christ the Lord is risen today, but they never meant it more. That they believed that little boy had been received into glory and that he hadn't been stripped of life, he had been clothed with new life. Well, the good news that I want you to take away this morning is that new life doesn't wait until we die. Life can be due now. It can be new because we are ready to address whatever is that question that goes to our most broken place. And so what's our part? I think our part is simply to listen. <laughs> Isn't that exactly what we sang about this morning? To listen, to be open, to know that the risen Christ, though we may not recognize him, is among us even now. 
And the risen Christ may pose a question to us through our spouse, through a friend, through a book that we're reading, through something that comes through the internet, and that question goes all the way to the pain in us, all the way to the resistance in us, all the way to the difference between bondage and freedom, between death and life. And so, brothers and sisters, keep your ears open, your heart open, and maybe pray in this Easter tide. You know, it's actually a great 50 days, not just one day. In this Easter tide, pray. Lord, ask me the question that I need to answer. You are on the road to newness of life. Thanks be to God.